0: So we look forward to the opportunity to continue in his presence as we would look into the word of God together We're in this series on the church. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, and the last book, Matthew chapter, or the last chapter, Matthew chapter 28. Um, Even as I prepared uh, this message this morning, I didn't quite know how much we were going to look at this message. Um, And uh, this morning really felt strongly that uh, we're not going to look at the whole thing today. We'll get to that next week because I think the Lord has something for us to engage in in response. But we want to talk this morning, as we look at the church, we want to talk about the resources of heaven the resources of heaven for the church. Um, A pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance who was the speaker, one of the speakers at Mahaffey Camp this summer, his name is Dave Jansen, talked about how he loves to go and work with small churches. So he's now a a retired pastor working um, in a church but also working in a district role, overseeing role, and one of his roles is to go in and to work with small, struggling, discouraged churches. And he said he absolutely loves going into these churches because as they are discouraged, small, feeling like there's not a lot of hope, feeling like they don't have a lot of resources, feeling like they don't have a lot going for them, he loves to speak encouragement and reality and hope to them. And he encourages them with these kinds of realities. He's like, okay, you have 20 people. You have a building. And you have a little bit of money. Look at the resources that you had. And then he points them to what Jesus had. He said, Jesus had 12 (laughs) And may only count 11 because Judas wasn't really in the whole way. He ends up betraying Jesus. So he's got 11 or 12 guys. He doesn't have a building. He doesn't even have a home. He's a homeless rabbi who travels from one place to another depending on people and hospitality along the way. And he has no money. He's... Depending on people around him, he's depending on some of the wealthy women around him to meet all of his needs. So he says, you guys have so much going for you. You've got 12, Jesus, you've got 20, Jesus got 12. You have a building, Jesus didn't even have a home. You have a little bit of money, Jesus didn't even have money to his name. And look what Jesus did. Oftentimes it is easy for us, especially in a more material-focused culture, to when we talk about resources, the resources of the church, to think in purely physical terms. Who are the people? What is the building? How big is it? What is it like? How much money is in the bank account? When we think about the resources that a church has to work with. And if you have a lot of people, if you have a nice building, and if you have a healthy amount in the bank account, it's easy for us to become confident. It's easy to become self-focused. It's easy to be able to say, we've got this look at all the resources that we have. But on the flip side, you can be like the small church mentality that he would go into, and you can look at, oh, we only have this many people And not that much in the way of ability within, you know, of giftedness Or may look at. Or you may look at the building and it's small or it's falling apart. Or you may look at the bank account and go, oh no, there's nothing there. And so you can have hopelessness and despair on the other side. And either way, the focus is on what do we have physically when the Lord wants us to see much more than what we just have physically. Certainly people, buildings, money, all of that is good and needed. But the greatest resource, the greatest resource is him. There's three resources that we'll look at. But I really believe the Lord wants us just to look at one this morning. In the sermon notes, you'll see those Three blanks, but we're just going to look at the first. And the first resource we want to look at is just simply his presence. It's his presence. If you look at Matthew 28, read the whole last section, verses 16 to 20, so you get context. We'll look at part of this next week as well. But it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So Judas is no longer there. He's taken his life at this point, understanding what he's done in betraying Jesus. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some still, even though they were with him and had seen him resurrected, some still doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The promise that Jesus gives to them is the promise of his presence with them. And the resource that Dave Jansen talked about as the greatest resource, and that is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus promises his disciples that he will be with them always to the very end of the age. The presence of God, the presence of Jesus is the greatest resource that the church has. The presence of Jesus. And it's not just that once Jesus shows up that it's like, okay, great, presence of Jesus is with us. And he's like, I'm still going to be with you to the very end of the age. This isn't like... Once Jesus comes this is God's desire his presence presence presence. It has always been if you read from Genesis to Revelation it is always the desire of God to be present with his people here on this earth. It's always his desire. It's always been and it always will be. From the very beginning Adam and Eve God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He desired to be present with them. Even after they sinned he said, "Where are you?" Where are you? There was relationship. They knew God. They had relationship with him. They had relationship with each other. There was presence. God desired to be with his creation. And at the end of time, when all things are restored, when Jesus has returned, and everything that is wrong with this world, death and sin and hell, Satan have been all dealt with. What will be left? is described in Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is, what word? With men, and he will live what? With them. They will be his people, and God himself will be what? With them, and be their God. This is God's desire. This is what he has been, what he has been doing in human history. From the beginning of time to the end of time and for eternity is that God has created a people for himself. God will be their God and we will be his people. His desire and this is what blows our minds and it should blow our minds that God would want to be with us. With us. And that we have the privilege to be with him. It's presence. It's presence. Moses understood the need for the presence of God as he journeyed up the mountaintop to be with God out of the relationship that he had with him in, um, in Exodus chapter 33, and we may have to if we could click that to the next one, Harry. In Exodus chapter 33, there we go. Jesus says or uh, Moses says, we need, I need your presence. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses understood that the thing that was going to distinguish them from all other peoples on earth was the presence of God. And he asks the question following that, now show me your glory. And God does this amazing work of hiding him in the cleft of the rock so he sees not the face of God, because if Moses sees the face of God, the glory of God in all of its fullness, he will die. But he hides him with his hand as the glory of the Lord passes by so that Moses can see the backside of the glory of God. And for days upon days on days after that, his glory was so radiant on the face of Moses that the people couldn't look at him. He had to wear a veil over his face because of being in the presence of God. It so marked him that the people couldn't even look upon Moses. Moses understood the need for the presence of God. To say, if we don't have your presence, we cannot, we will not go any farther. We need your presence. You hear the desperation? You hear the desperation in Moses? We cannot do anything. I cannot do anything, Moses says, if we don't have you. Moses understood the need for the presence. Revelation 3, Jesus is talking to various churches in Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches. And the seventh is the church of Laodicea, a church that had lots going on for them, lots of resources. They had money, they had power, they had position. They, they had lots of things going on for them, but yet they missed and they forgot the most important thing. And that was the presence, that was Jesus himself. They said, we don't need anything. (laughs) They actually told Jesus, we don't need anything. We've got money, we've got wealth, we've got everything. We've got resources. Jesus' word to them is, you don't realize, you think you have all of these resources, but you really are poor and naked and wretched and blind because you don't have me in your midst. And then he says this this verse that we often quote when we may tell somebody the good news of the gospel, and certainly this is an application to it, but, but don't miss the fact that these words are written to a church, to already believers who forgot about the presence. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. I'm outside Wanting to come in, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The table in first century was the most intimate place. If you came to the table and had a meal, you were at the deepest level of relationship with a person. In some ways, I think we're still there. You might have somebody over walk into the, into the entryway of your house, oh hey, you know, and you're thinking, oh man, my house is a mess. There's toys everywhere, or I haven't cleaned anywhere, you know, okay, yeah, great, uh, please leave, <laughs> right? <laughs> you may even have them come sit on the couch and talk for a while. Hey, I get you a cup of coffee or a cup of tea? Okay, great. But if you're going to invite them then to come and sit at your table, where you then take time to prepare a meal for them, you've communicated to someone, I'm opening the fullness of my life to you. And when you sit at the table, it's not, oh, I got to go in five. Let's wrap this up. When you're sitting at the table, it's an invitation to sit and to linger because not only do you have the meal, but then you're going to have dessert and then you're going to have coffee or tea after. And then after the meal, oh, it's, you know, let's get a little, it's not as comfortable here at the table. Why don't we go now sit on the couch and let's relax and let's be together? It's a place of intimacy. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, if you hear my voice and you hear me knocking, welcome. I want to come in. I want presence with you. I want to come in and eat with you and you with me. It's the desire of God as He has drawn near to us that we would draw near to Him. It's presence. The greatest resource we have is presence. We know that Jesus, you may know that Jesus then, after saying this, ascends into heaven. In Matthew chapter 28, he ascends into heaven. But before he did that, he told his disciples on the night before he died, he said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Though I am gone, I'm sending, my father will send the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit to be my presence with you. This mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, because the Spirit will be with you, I will be with you. The Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. He went so far as, in John 16, just a few chapters later, to say, it's better if I leave. <laughs> Imagine Jesus, God in the flesh, present, says it's better if, I'm, if I leave. Why? Because the Spirit somehow... <laughs> If we trust the word of God and the word of Jesus, the Spirit's presence with us is even better than the physical presence of Jesus because he's with all of us. Do you see God's heart? Do you see what God has been up to for all time? Wanting to be with his people. And so if that is the desire of God, should that not be the greatest thing that we want? The presence. To be with Jesus, to be with him, should be the most important thing that we do. Abiding in him through times of worship and prayer. Reading and meditating on the scriptures so that it transforms us, transforms the way we think, transforms who we are, and then obeying the word. Not just reading it and meditating on it, but doing it, being changed by it and doing it. and Loving him as he's loved us. His presence is the greatest resource that we have. His presence is the greatest desire that we need to have. In the annual report, I write about the deeper life, about how A.B. Simpson was so much about the deeper life in Christ, the work of the Spirit. This is that. This is going after his presence is the deeper life in Christ. And so may we be people and may we be a family that goes after his presence more and more. One last piece of this with his presence. Jesus said, my presence will always be with you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. And so we know he is with us at all times. But there is a difference between the presence of God with us and him manifesting his presence. Him making himself known. Sometimes, you know, we walk through life, oh, God's with me. And he is. But he wants even more. He wants to show up in a way that it becomes tangible for us and for those around us. Manifest simply means to make known the made known presence of Jesus. Friends, I believe way too much that we, sad, that we settle for just the always there presence and don't hunger and thirst for the manifest presence of Jesus. I've had various illustrations and I'll use this next week of water. It's like if ever I have an object lesson, it usually has water. You're probably sick and tired of water, but I think there's something significant to water. (laughs) It's part of the vision that the Lord has given to us of the, the temple in Ezekiel with the river flowing. Jesus saying, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And rivers, streams of river, of of living water will flow within us. There's something about water in the scriptures that I think I can go back and I could use water every week and it's not bad. It's not wrong. (laughs) There's something about rivers and water. And so the Lord just gave me this idea of, you know, wells. You could be standing by by water underneath your feet. And you could say, I am in the presence of water, right? You may be standing right over an aquifer below you, and you could say, I am in the presence of water. It is here. But you haven't touched, you haven't tasted, you haven't experienced the water. It has to be drilled down. There has to be a digging. There has to be a well that is, is dug up for the water to be able to come up, for there to be water manifested in your presence, In the same way, I believe what the Lord is calling us to is not to be satisfied with the fact that his presence is around us, but to say we need the manifestation of your presence. We need you to make known your presence, that we would be a people hungry and desperate like Moses. If we don't have your presence, we're not going on from here. If there is not a tangible sense, because all those people that they would have walked throughout the desert, they would have gone into the promised land with, all those people, they would not have just been like, oh, God's with them. Why? Because he says it? Yeah. No, that wouldn't have been. That's not what Moses was after. We don't want people just to know you're with us. We want people to see that you're with us. And he hungered for it. He labored for it. He pleaded with God for it. You'll find also in the annual report, so you really need to read the annual report. It's not just a bunch of paper. In the elders report, just to share. And over the last year, the elders have been meeting and praying for a season believing that there are just things that we need to own from the past. And one of the things would just be how dependent, with good intention, I believe, but how dependent we come on on programs and methods and what I think wisdom, my wisdom, man's wisdom, and not the presence of Jesus. I share that with you because as the elders, we've, We've just acknowledged that before the Lord and said, Lord, forgive us for looking at and trusting plans and methods and our own ideas along the way without you having the, the one that sets all of this and you being the one that we desire more than anything. It can be like that subtle shift of just wanting to do good things for God and miss God. <laughs> wanting to do good things for Jesus and miss Jesus. So I share that with you because I believe it's not just a few elders who would pray for that, but that we would be brought in as a congregation into that and say, Lord, we need your presence. I even believe that there has been a well here but over time wells can get covered over it's still there it just needs to be cleaned out and redug it's not a new water source <laughs> it's the same one it just needs to be unearthed a little bit i i hear from the early days of those who have been here, of the Little Red Brick Church, and I, and I hear the, the longing and the words that are spoken, not because we want to just go back to the way it was, but because there was something tangible there about the presence of God. That love saturated the place. Love doesn't saturate a place if the presence of God is not there. And, and I believe that's what the Lord is calling us back to, is just His presence. His presence. His presence is the greatest resource for the church of Jesus Christ. His presence. So we just want to take a little bit of time to go after and to lean into his presence together this morning in worship and in prayer. To end there. Just say, Jesus, we, we need you. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. If we don't have you, we don't want to go forward. <laughs> if we don't have you, would you bring your presence? Would you make your presence known? Would we be a people known by the presence? So, Father in heaven, we do ask, as Moses did, if if you don't mark us, if your presence is not what sets us apart, we don't want to go forward. We don't want to do anything if it is without your presence known. Father, would you give us a heart like Moses, a heart of desperation? a heart that is bold enough to say there's more of you than what we've seen. There's more of you than what we've known. And if all the peoples around us who don't yet know you are going to know us by anything, it needs to be by you. We need to be marked by you. So, Lord, have your way in these moments. We we welcome your presence. And we seek to lean into and to dig again that well. To restore and to recover a tangible sense of the presence of Jesus. Father, as we were reminded this morning, Jesus, you are here. We want to know you more. We want your presence to be made known. It's with expectation that we enter this time. In Jesus' name, amen.